one of the reasons we're kind of flipping the sort of the, the worship preach sort of sandwich around um, is because we we want you to press into the worship in the context of having heard a little bit more kind of thinking and reflecting. So uh, that is what we're going to do now. And um, I wonder. Um, I am on now. Um, I wonder Meg, Meg dropped it in her 43-minute talk the other day, just about, I keep reminding her of it, um, uh, just about this choice that I had to make um, about 20-odd years ago to worship in whatever circumstances I found myself. And, you know, doing this vicar thing, I find myself in all sorts of quite odd circumstances um, and, and every single time going, okay, I'm going to make the choice to worship anyway. And that's just in worship context, but actually the overflow of that is that you then choose to worship whatever life circumstances are. And I wonder as we kind of go through this little series, which we're just extending for I don't quite know how long, on a life of worship, not an hour of worship, not a Sunday, not coming to church worship, but a life of worship. I I wonder whether you've made the choice yet. I wonder whether you have made the choice to worship in every circumstance. You know, whether, whether the band does a good job or not. Whether you get a phone call from the bank. That would be really bad if a bank actually phones you up. You know, you know you're in trouble, don't you? The money people phone. You know, have you made a choice to worship anyway? Have you made a choice to worship as you wait to see the consultant? If you haven't made the choice, I hope that you make the choice. Just to give you a little recap of of where we've been, uh, Joe just started us off talking about the fact that we've been created to worship. And then we talked about worshipping God as he's revealed in the Bible. Not kind of a made up God where we worship him in our own image, but we worship him, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And yes, we worship the Holy Spirit too. Meg talked about entering the presence of God, about that, te- that journey into that picture of the Old, ten- Old Testament temple and entering his co- the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And then I spoke about worshipping all the time with that image of every six steps there being worship. And then Joe talked about worship, as we worship God transforming us from that verse in Corinthians that as we gaze upon him, as we reflect on him, so he transforms us. And then last week I talked about worshipping in our work every single day in all the things we're doing, whether it's paid or whether it's in retirement on the golf course, whatever it might be, or whether it's uh, in uh, you know, all everything, the whole lot. Uh, stop talking. Um, and tonight, uh, what I'd love us to dig into is this idea of worshipping within or from the Word of God. And I'd just love us to press into that a little bit. Um, Let me just give you a couple of um, verses, and I've kind of given some summary words on the top here. 
Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Or 2 Timothy, all, all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my, for my feet, a light for my path. Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, says Jesus, but my words will not pass away. Mark's words will, but Jesus' will not. Matthew 4, verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word has been made flesh. There's this, there's this wonderful kind of paradox, this play on ideas. But the word, the, the divine logos of the, of the universe, the, the one through whom everything has been made, he has come in person, he's been made flesh and his words will endure forever. But this word is also the truth, the truth who's come in person. John chapter 8 verse 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 8.36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life, says Jesus. What do I mean by this funny little phrase of worshipping within the word. Well, I think what I mean is this, is that, we, is that we actually, when we worship, sit under the word. You know, you can treat the word of God kind of, you know, like something to be studied over here. And you can pull it apart academically and you can kind of go well you know I'm not really sure I like that bit and in terms of what I see in society and sociology well actually I'd, I'd, I'd much rather go with that and, and I'm not sure that this makes any sense in the context of that but actually if you're underneath the word then this is the primary authority this is the authority not culture this informs what we think about culture, not the other way around. And, and if, if you have it the other way around, you'll always be tearing pages out of this. You'll always be jettisoning the bits that you don't like. And, and, and believe me, I, I'm not saying there's bits in it that I'm not uncomfortable with and that I don't wrestle with. But you know what? I hope that we sit underneath it. That we sit underneath the Word of God. That we allow... The word of God to inform our thinking rather than jettison bits of it because we don't like it and we're uncomfortable with it. 
And it's not to say that we shouldn't wrestle with the word of God. It's not that we should be mindless about it and just accept it at face value. We need to read around it and we need to understand it and understand the context and wrestle with it and discuss it with one another. But we are supposed to be under it, not above it. When we are above the word of God eventually two things will get jettisoned. The first is this, that Jesus is God. That will go eventually if you're not sitting under the word. And the second thing that will go is that Jesus became fully human and died on a cross to pay the price for our sins. When the first one goes, the second one will always go. And, and when those two have gone, you haven't gone in the left. It's just like anything else. Those are the two things that, that make us, as followers of Jesus Christ, it, it, it's the thing that changes everything. And if we throw those out, there, there isn't anything left. You see, our, our worship, our worship is, is drenched in the word of God. And our worship is drenched in the person of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done. And therefore, by its very nature, it is cross-shaped. But the cross is not the end. It's the end of death. It's the end of fear. It's the end of the rule and reign of sin. But it's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. It sits right at the centre of history. And it propels us in a new direction. But our worship is not only under the word. It is focused on Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. It is cross-shaped. It's also personal. You see, as we come to Jesus, what he asks of us is not just intellectual assent. He asks us to make an offering of ourselves to accept him and what he's got to offer means that we need to let go of what we have and come and offer ourselves to him and surrender. So how, how might we use... The word of God in worship. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go quite fast on this because I, I want to make, make more time to do this. I want us to have time to take communion together. How might you start? Well, you might start with Revelation verses four, uh, chapter 4 and 5. This is the passage, I can't find them at the moment, I've got too many, too many bits of Bible open from looking at this this afternoon. Uh, here we go. This is, the, this is the, the songs in heaven that we get to join in with. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 4.11, you are worthy, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive honour and glory and power for you created all things and by your will they were created 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and glory and honour. You know, if you don't know where else to start in Scripture, start in Revelation 4 and 5 and just take those phrases and, and learn them, adopt them as part of your kind of narrative. Or maybe, uh, if you don't know where to start, start in any one of the Psalms. The Psalms are amazing because they are this kind of rich heritage of, uh, rich heritage of songs that are just so full of what it's like to be human and yet choose to worship God. So you can pick almost any one of the Psalms and, and they make a great place to start with worshipping God. But read them from the context of the New Testament. Read them from the context of the fact that Jesus Christ has come in person. He's died on the cross. What might you do with all this stuff? Well, I'd encourage you to be learning scripture. You know, we've talked about these five habits and one of them is to be reading the word of God. I, I, I was talking to someone the other day and I had to agree with them because we were both doing a version of the Bible in a year and we were like, yeah, but it's going to take us two years, isn't it? Anyone else have that? Or you'll... Yeah, yeah. yeah so some, of you, some of you just acknowledge it. Yeah. You know, it's the Bible in a year, brackets two years. Yeah, and, you know, we occasionally have to do reset. But read the Bible regularly. Read it, learn it, read great swathes and chunks of it just because it's good for you. It's like walking the dogs. It's like going out in the fresh air. It's just, just go and do it. But also, kind of feast on it. Take a verse or a line or even just a phrase and just allow it to sit with you for a day or a week and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You know, what does it mean? Just take one of those verses from Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What's it like for your home to, to acknowledge the holiness of God? What if you took that, just that line, for a week for your family? You know, learning scripture is, is a wonderful thing. I'm going to try to do this without looking at what I've written down, but I always get confused in the middle line because it's, it is so similar to the NIV. But 30 years ago, I was introduced to this song. I'm sorry I'm going to sing. And it goes like this. May our attitude be as that of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, Taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. That's the bit where I get confused. <coughs> he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. 
to the glory of God the Father. It's just straight out of Philippians. I'm so grateful that we sang that in a church 30 years ago and it's kind of just in my head, apart from the middle. It's really similar to the IV. Other than that, it's straight out of the NEV. But that, you know, that has been such a blessing over 30 years to sing that song and to just be able to dive into worship, but worship in the word and, and sing what is effectively a creed. You know, this ancient, ancient declaration of faith, this song. So I encourage you to read the word, to learn it, to study it. But always, as you read the word, allow yourself to be pointed to the living word. You know, most of what we sing is, is straight out of scripture. And, and you know, sometimes I, sometimes I hear the little grumble that, less so now actually, but kind of, 20, 20, 20, 10 years ago, there was this little grumble that all of our worship was, was kind of I-centred. You know, it was me-centred. It was me having this massively kind of intimate one-on-one experience with the living God. And, and, and I kind of, you know, I, I used to get slightly annoyed when I hear that. And I, I went off and I did a little study on it to kind of compare the ratio in the songs that were kind of current at the time versus the Psalms. And you know what? And the funny thing was, they were about the same. <laughs> because worship is personal. We do get drawn into that deeply intimate and corporate relationship with God. I, I wonder whether we might just unpack something a little bit. We opened with a song this evening, and, and in a little while we'll sing it again. Um, and there is a, a website that I, I discovered um, which goes through Christian songs and unpacks them in terms of the Bible. Now, the person who's obviously writing this is uh, probably uh, slightly more, if there's a spectrum, probably slightly on the uh, risk-free conservative end than I am, okay? So, you know, there'll be some things where I kind of go, do you know what? I'm happy with that lyric, even if you're not, because I kind of get it. So, you know, he literally, he rates every single worship song out of 10 by kind of, you know, the whole checklist of things. And he goes through every single line and says, where is this, where is this, where's this lyric come from in terms of scripture? So it's a really interesting interesting website to look at and um, you know his discomfort level is is higher than mine would be yeah and that's sometimes actually to do with a bit of theology in terms of are we content to sing things and declare things that we have not yet experienced um, I think that's a great thing to do and I think it's a core heart thing to do so you know if you go and look at it just bear that in mind but I think I think it's a it's a really interesting resource so I thought we might just do that taking um just a couple of the verses that this guy highlights um with the with what was our opening song from this evening um who breaks the power of sin and darkness you enjoy that song 
You find it helpful? Yeah. One of the reasons why I think we find it so helpful is because it is absolutely rich in Scripture. Let me just um, flag up a few of the things for us. So first of all, there is this kind of double set of questions that get asked at the beginning. Uh, who breaks the power of sin and darkness? This is an open question. And then who, whose love is... Uh, I can't say it's too small. Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? So these two questions get asked. But the answer comes because actually... Jesus is the one that does that. Jesus is the one that breaks the power of sin and darkness. Romans, 3, Romans 6 verse 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Or John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. You know the rest of it. Psalm 24, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. You see, in this few lines, there is a richness of scripture. And and on the website, actually, he highlights about 20 verses for each line. Uh, We haven't got time to go through each one of those. And then as he goes on, There's this acknowledgement that God's love and grace is amazing. That he would take our place. That wonderful passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 53. He takes our place. He's pierced for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. There's a richness here that he has stepped into our place, that he's laid down his life for us. Romans six, uh, Romans 5 verse 6 to 10, For while we were still helpless, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good one, someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love, his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He laid his life down while we were still sinners. We didn't have to work ourselves up to righteousness for him. He clothes us in righteousness. And the response is to worship, oh Jesus, I can sing of all that you've done for me. It might be worth, you know, if you want to dig into that stuff, go and look at the website. This guy just, he's got like 20 verses for each line. And you kind of go, this is rich. And so many of our worship songs are like that. But the crux of it, I think, is this. With all of the songs that we sing, all of the worship that we sing, is there, is that we come and our response is to worship, to love him back because he first loved us. To give ourselves to him because he's given everything for us. But you know, it is an act of love. 
you know, sometimes the, the grumble against the sort of charismatic wing of the church is, is, yeah, but you sing the same chorus and frankly it just goes on and on and on. We've done that one. You know, Meg and I went out for dinner on, on um, Friday night. You know, it was that kind of a night. Um, the restaurant owner was well annoyed, okay, because it was really difficult for him. They had a small number of tables, and every table there was a gooey couple. But, the, you know, they weren't, you know, I could overhear a few other conversations. No one was really kind of talking about politics or, you know, the government or, you know, coronavirus or whatever it is. Yeah, sort of oh, gazing in each other's eyes. You know? I, I, it's an uncomfortable image. If you've lost the person that you love. It's an uncomfortable image if everyone around you seems to be in that place and, and you're not in a kind of human context. Or you're just annoyed that the vicar would even say that because, you know, why should he even be able to comment on that? But our, our songs, our, our worship, they, they are an act of love to him, to the living God. And, and so actually it is okay just to dwell and look and gaze and reflect upon the wonder of God. And it is personal and it is relational and we are drawn into his presence. Right into the heart of the temple, except the temple has been torn wide open. And every single one of us is invited. It was Archbishop Ramsey who they, they used to lose. And there's one time where where they lost him and they found him kind of propping up the outside of Canterbury Cathedral and when asked what he was doing, he just said, contemplating glory. <laughs> you lose an archbishop who's supposed to be running the Anglican communion and he's lost out of the back of Canterbury Cathedral, contemplating glory. The richness of what he's done for every single one of us is this dance of a loving relationship with God who has invited us in. And it's not just a cerebral exercise. And some of us, the way that we love and that we express emotions is going to be more cerebral than others. And he invites us in with whatever language we speak. There's a danger in here with what I've talked about this evening and I'm coming into Lent. That we take the word of God in worship and, and what we do is we sing about God. You know, I, 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 for, I don't know, my, my later teenage years, I, I, I was really, really irritated every Christmas. I, 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 I loathed Christmas carols. They just annoyed me. <clears throat> they still do, honestly. But, um, 
And the reason is this, is that when we get into Christmas, the, the flavour of our worship changes. And what we do at Christmas is we start singing about him rather than to him or with him. You know, because what we do is we, we sing the story. <laughs> and that story is fine as long as you're making the connection. But if, if you're just singing the story, that's why so often in a, in a, you know, in a, in a carol service, it's great to just drop in one or two songs that are kind of contemporary because actually they connect with the heart. There's a danger that we just sing about God, that it's just informational like some of the Christmas carols. There is even a danger that we just sing to him. That we only get as far as the outer courts. That we give him thanks, that we give him praise for his character, that we declare that he's amazing, but we stay outside. And the point of all of this is that he invites us rightly. You know, in the context of how we express that in this service, you know, we've, we've, we've got a band and they lead us in worship. But you know what? At the nine o'clock where we use the red books and we start at the beginning and we end at the end and we do all the stuff in the middle, most of the time. We didn't quite do that this morning, but, you know, my expectation is the same. That we come and meet with the living God. If you're coming and, you're, and your worship and your prayer is, is the Monday evening quiet in the community. That prayer event. And, and it's more meditative and it's, and it's relaxed. Or if it's early on a Tuesday morning and you come and there's just a little bit of quiet music on and you sit quietly. My expectation is that whatever the language of worship is, is that you meet with him. Because you see, it's not about being led by that. And I know, I know Joe's leading this stuff, but he'll be the first person to tell you that. It's not about that. This is supposed to equip us for the rest of the week. For our living, it's supposed to equip us for when, we, when it's tough. 